Chapter 5, Sections 3 and 4 of The Golden Bough. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leon Meyer. The Golden Bough by Sir James Fraser. Chapter 5 The Magical Control of the Weather. Section 3 The Magical Control of the Sun. As the magician thinks he can make rain, so he fancies he can cause the sun to shine, and can hasten or stay its going down. At an eclipse the Ojebways used to imagine that the sun was being extinguished, so they shot fire-tipped arrows in the air, hoping thus to rekindle his expiring light. The Senses of Peru also shot burning arrows at the sun during an eclipse, but apparently they did this not so much to relight his lamp, as to drive away a savage beast with which they supposed him to be struggling. Conversely, during an eclipse of the moon, some tribes of the Orinoco used to bury lighted brands in the ground, because, said they, if the moon were to be extinguished, all fire on earth would be extinguished with her, except such as was hidden from her sight. During an eclipse of the sun, the Kamchatkans were wont to bring out fire from their huts, and pray the great luminary to shine as before. But the prayer addressed to the sun shows that this ceremony was religious rather than magical. Purely magical, on the other hand, was the ceremony observed on similar occasions by the Chilcotin Indians. Men and women tucked up their robes, as they do in traveling, and then, leaning on staves, as if they were heavy laden, they continued to walk in a circle till the eclipse was over. Apparently they thought thus to support the failing steps of the sun as he trod his weary round in the sky. Similarly, in ancient Egypt, the king, as the representative of the sun, walked solemnly round the walls of a temple in order to ensure that the sun should perform his daily journey round the sky without the interruption of an eclipse or other mishap. And after the autumnal equinox, the ancient Egyptians held a festival called the Nativity of the Sun's Walking Stick, because as the luminary declined daily in the sun, and his light and heat diminished, he was supposed to need a staff on which to lean. In New Caledonia, when a wizard desires to make sunshine, he takes some plants and corals to the burial ground, and fashions them into a bundle, adding two locks of hair cut from a living child of his family, also two teeth or an entire jawbone from the skeleton of an ancestor. He then climbs a mountain, whose top catches the first rays of the morning sun. Here he deposits three sorts of plants on a flat stone, places a branch of dry coral beside them, and hangs the bundle of charms over the stone. Next morning he returns to the spot, and sets fire to the bundle at the moment when the sun rises from the sea. As the smoke curls up, he rubs the stone with a dry coral, invokes his ancestors, and says, Son, I do this that you may be burning hot, and eat up all the clouds in the sky. The New Caledonians also make a drought by means of a disc-shaped stone with a hole in it. At the moment when the sun rises, the wizard holds the stone in his hand, and passes a burning brand repeatedly into the hole, while he says, I kindle the sun, in order that he may eat up the clouds and dry up our land, so that it may produce nothing. The Banks Islanders make sunshine by means of a mock sun. They take a very round stone, called a vatloa or sunstone, 
wind red braid around it, and stick it with owl's feathers to represent rays, singing the proper spell in a low voice. Then they hang it on some high tree, such as a banyan or a casuarina, in a sacred place. The offering made by the Brahmin in the morning is supposed to produce the sun, and we are told that, assuredly, it would not rise were he not to make that offering. The ancient Mexicans conceived the sun as the source of all vital force, hence they named him Ipalnimahuani, he by whom men live. But if he bestowed life on the world, he also needed to receive life from it. And as the heart is the seat and symbol of life, bleeding hearts of men and animals were presented to the sun to maintain him in vigor and enable him to run his course across the sky. Thus the Mexican sacrifices to the sun were magical rather than religious, being designed not so much to please and propitiate him as physically to renew his energies of light, heat, and motion. The constant demand for human victims to feed the solar fire was met by waging war every year on the neighboring tribes, and bringing back troops of captives to be sacrificed on the altar. Thus the ceaseless wars of the Mexicans, and their cruel system of human sacrifices, the most monstrous on record, sprang in great measure from a mistaken theory of the solar system. No more striking illustration could be given of the disastrous consequences that may flow in practice from a purely speculative error. The ancient Greeks believed that the sun drove in a chariot across the sky. Hence the Rhodians, who worshipped the sun as their chief deity, annually dedicated a chariot and four horses to him, and flung them into the sea for his use. Doubtless they thought that after a year's work, his old horses and chariot would be worn out. From a like motive, probably, the idolatrous kings of Judah dedicated chariots and horses to the sun, and the Spartans, Persians, and Massagetti sacrificed horses to him. The Spartans performed the sacrifice on the top of Mount Taegetus, the beautiful range behind which they saw the great luminary sat every night. It was as natural for the inhabitants of the valley of Sparta to do this, as it was for the islanders of Rhodes to throw the chariot and horses into the sea, into which the sun seemed to them to sink at evening. For thus, whether on the mountain or in the sea, the fresh horses stood ready for the weary god, where they would be most welcome, at the end of his day's journey. As some people think they can light up the sun, or speed him on his way, so others fancy they can retard or stop him. In a pass of the Peruvian Andes stand two ruined towers on opposite hills. Iron hooks are clamped into their walls for the purpose of stretching a net from one tower to the other. The net is intended to catch the sun. Stories of men who have caught the sun in the noose are widely spread. When the sun is going southward in the autumn, and sinking lower and lower in the arctic sky, the Eskimos of Iglulik play the game of cat's cradle in order to catch him in the meshes of the string and so prevent his disappearance. On the contrary, when the sun is moving northward in the spring, they play the game of cup and ball to hasten his return. When an Australian blackfellow wishes to stay the sun from going down till he gets home, he puts a sod in the fork of a tree, exactly facing the setting sun. On the other hand, to make it go down faster, the Australians throw sand into the air and blow with their mouths towards the sun, perhaps to waft the lingering orb westward and bury it under the sands into which it appears to sink at night. As some people imagine they can hasten the sun, so others fancy they can jog the tardy moon. 
The natives of New Guinea reckon months by the moon, and some of them have been known to throw stones and spears at the moon, in order to accelerate its progress, and so to hasten the return of their friends, who were away from home for twelve months, working on a tobacco plantation. The Malays think that a bright glow at sunset may throw a weak person into a fever. Hence they attempt to extinguish the glow by spitting out water and throwing ashes at it. The Shuswap Indians believe that they can bring on cold weather by burning the wood of a tree that has been struck by lightning. The belief may be based on the observation that, in their country, cold follows a thunderstorm. Hence, in spring, when these Indians are traveling over the snow on high ground, they burn splinters of such wood in the fire, in order that the crust of the snow may not melt. Section 4. The Magical Control of the Wind once more, the savage thinks he can make the wind to blow or to be still. When the day is hot and a yakut has a long way to go, he takes a stone which he has chanced to find in an animal or fish, winds a horsehair several times round it, and ties it to a stick. He then waves the stick about, uttering a spell. Soon a cool breeze begins to blow. In order to procure a cool wind for nine days, the stone should first be dipped in the blood of a bird or beast, and then presented to the sun, while the sorcerer makes three turns contrary to the course of the luminary. If a Hottentot desires the wind to drop, he takes one of his fattest skins and hangs it on the end of a pole, in the belief that by blowing the skin down, the wind will lose all its force and must itself fall. Fuegian wizards throw shells against the wind to make it drop. The natives of the island of Bibili, off New Guinea, are reported to make wind by blowing with their mouths. In stormy weather, the Bogajam people say, the Bibili folk are at it again, blowing away. Another way of making wind which is practiced in New Guinea is to strike a windstone lightly with a stick. To strike it hard would bring on a hurricane. So in Scotland, which is used to raise the wind by dipping a rag in water and beating it thrice on a stone, saying, I knock this rag upon this stain, to raise the wind in the devil's name, it shall not lie till I please again. In Greenland, a woman in childbed, and for some time after delivery, is supposed to possess the power of laying a storm. She has only to go out of doors, fill her mouth with air, and, coming back into the house, blow it out again. In antiquity there was a family at Corinth, which enjoyed the reputation of being able to still the raging wind but we do not know in what manner its members exercised a useful function, which probably earned for them a more solid recompense than mere repute among the seafaring population of the Isthmus. Even in Christian times, under the reign of Constantine, a certain Sopater suffered death at Constantinople on a charge of binding the winds by magic, because it happened that the corn ships of Egypt and Syria were detained afar by calms or headwinds, to the rage and disappointment of the hungry Byzantine rabble. Finnish wizards used to sell wind to storm-stayed mariners. The wind was enclosed in three knots. If they undid the first knot, a moderate wind sprang up. If the second, it blew half a gale. If the third, a hurricane. Indeed, the Estonians, whose country is divided from Finland only by an arm of the sea, still believe in the magical powers of their northern neighbors. The bitter winds that blow in spring from the north and northeast, bringing ague and rheumatic inflammations in their train, are set down by the simple Estonian peasantry to the machinations of the Finnish wizards and witches. 
in particular they regard with special dread three days in spring to which they give the name of the days of cross one of them falls on the eve of ascension day the people in the neighborhood of felon fear to go out on these days lest the cruel winds from lapland should smite them dead a popular estonian song runs winds of cross rushing and mighty heavy the blow of thy wings sweeping past wild wailing wind of misfortune and sorrow wizards of finland ride by on the blast it is said too that sailors beating up against the wind in the gulf of finland sometimes see a strange sail heave in sight astern and overhaul them hand over hand on she comes with a cloud of canvas all her studding sails out right in the teeth of the wind forging her way through the foaming billows dashing back the spray in sheets from her cutwater every sail swollen to bursting every rope strained to cracking then the sailors know that she hails from finland the art of tying up the wind in three knots so that the more knots are loose the stronger will blow the wind has been attributed to wizards in lapland and to witches in shetland lewis and the isle of man shetland seamen still buy winds in the shape of knotted handkerchiefs or threads from old women who claim to rule the storms there are said to be ancient crones in lerwick now who live by selling wind ulysses received the winds in a leathern bag from aeolus king of the winds the motumotu in new guinea think that storms are sent by an obayu sorcerer for each wind he has a bamboo which he opens at pleasure on the top of mount agu in togo a district of west africa resides a fetish called bagba who is supposed to control the wind and the rain his priest is said to keep the winds shut up in great pots often the stormy wind is regarded as an evil being who may be intimidated driven away or killed when storms and bad weather have lasted long and food is scarce with the central eskimo they endeavor to conjure the tempest by making a long whip of seaweed armed with which they go down to the beach and strike out in the direction of the wind crying taba it is enough once when northwesterly winds had kept the ice long on the coast and food was becoming scarce the eskimo performed a ceremony to make a calm a fire was kindled on the shore and the men gathered round it and chanted an old man then stepped up to the fire and in a coaxing voice invited the demon of the wind to come under the fire and warm himself when he was supposed to have arrived a vessel of water to which each man present had contributed was thrown on the flames by an old man and immediately a flight of arrows sped towards the spot where the fire had been they thought that the demon would not stay where he had been so badly treated to complete the effect guns were discharged in various directions and the captain of a european vessel was invited to fire on the wind with cannon on the twenty first of february eighteen eighty three a similar ceremony was performed by the eskimo point barrow alaska with the intention of killing the spirit of the wind women drove the demon from their houses with clubs and knives with which they made passes in the air and the men gathering round a fire shot him with their rifles and crushed him under a heavy stone the moment that steam rose in a cloud from the smouldering embers on which a tub of water had just been thrown the langua indians of the grand chaco ascribe the rush of a whirlwind to the passage of a spirit and they fling sticks at it to frighten it away when the wind blows down their huts the payaguas of south america snatch up firebrands and run against the wind menacing it with the blazing brands while others beat the air with their fists to frighten the storm 
When the Guaycurus are threatened by a severe storm, the men go out armed, and the women and children scream their loudest to intimidate the demon. During a tempest, the inhabitants of a Batak village in Sumatra have been seen to rush from their houses armed with sword and lance. The Rajah placed himself at their head, and with shouts and yells they hewed and hacked at the invisible foe. An old woman was observed to be specially active in the defense of her house, slashing the air right and left with a long saber. In a violent thunderstorm, the peal sounding very near, the Kayans of Borneo have been seen to draw their swords threateningly half out of their scabbards, as if to frighten away the demons of the storm. In Australia, the huge columns of red sand that move rapidly across a desert tract are thought by the natives to be spirits passing along. Once an athletic young black ran after one of these moving columns to kill it with boomerangs. He was away two or three hours, and came back very weary, saying he had killed Coochie, the demon, but that Coochie had growled at him, and he must die. Of the Bedouins of eastern Africa, it is said, quote, No whirlwind ever sweeps across the path without being pursued by a dozen savages with drawn creases, who stab into the center of the dusty column in order to drive away the evil spirit that is believed to be riding on the blast. Unquote. In the light of these examples, a story told by Herodotus, which his modern critics have treated as a fable, is perfectly credible. He says, without, however, vouching for the truth of the tale, that once in the land of Sile, the modern Tripoli, the wind blowing from the Sahara had dried up all the water tanks. So the people took counsel, and marched in a body to make war on the south wind. But when they entered the desert, the Samoon swept down on them, and buried them to a man. The story may well have been told by one who watched them disappearing, in battle array with drums and cymbals beating, into the red cloud of whirling sand. End of chapter 5, sections 3 and 4